me tell this story before, but I need to tell it again in case you haven't, just to give context. After my wife Andre and I got married while we were in seminary, we had always had this plan that once we got settled, we would want to start a family. So once we moved to Indiana, we found a home with extra spare bedrooms to begin our family we wanted to raise. But that plan we had was not meant to be. Our story involves many things that many of you are familiar with. From our life and maybe from your own. Atopic pregnancy, miscarriages, failed trip after failed trip to fertility specialists. It's a story that involves much prayer, much pain. More prayer again, but prayer that's not just hope. Prayer with authors and Spiritual folks have described as the window to the soul, raw, real emotion with God. But the story doesn't end there. Then, through nothing short of a miracle, just as we were beginning the process of adoption, a member of our congregation, Cheryl Schreibmeier, through the grapevine, shares with me that she knows someone who is looking to find a home for a soon-to-be baby boy. Two and a change weeks, or two and, two and change months later, we were proud parents in bringing Micah home from the hospital five years ago. There is no doubt in my heart that Micah, who is now five, is a gift and a miracle from God. I give thanks to God for him. Each and every night we put him to bed and we watch him asleep for this precious gift. We thank God. I do not take for granted when he gives me a hug, and think of that hug not just as a hug from a child, but as an answer to prayer. God provides, thanks be to God, even through all the pain, even through all the tears, even through all the loss, God provides. It's not how we plan, it's not how we envision, but yet still God provided. And that is the focus of our text today. God provides. God provides for Abraham and Sarah, a child in their old age. God provides a ram for the sacrifice. So much so, God provides that Abraham names the mountain God provides. And this is true. God does provide for us all. All that we need. All that we have. I firmly believe this. In Jesus' own ministry, we see him talk about this when he tells others not to worry. He says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or what, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, nor gather into their barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? When I hear those words, I hear Jesus saying, God, your Father, has provided for you. And we have all that we need. Maybe we aren't good at sharing it, but God has provided. But, I want to be honest with you. This text has been eating away at me all week long. It is a difficult text to swallow. 
So I want to do this for the sermon. is to share with you some of my questions and my journey wrestling with this text this week. And to share with you what I have come to be my response. I say response and not answer, because I think there's a big distinction. I don't have all the answers. I don't think we ever can. I think that's a part of the reason why we have faith, because we don't have all the answers. I firmly believe that the people who I have looked up to as role models in faith always had better questions than they did answers. I look no further than Jesus. He often responds in the Gospels to a question with an even better question. Rarely do we see Jesus giving a direct answer. So let's start off with the first question I have and wrestling with all week. Why on earth would God ask Abraham to sacrifice his son, the same son whom God has promised and delivered? My wife and I were talking about God's request of Abraham the other night and how we might respond if God asked us to sacrifice our only son, who is our answer to prayer. I'm going to be honest with you, again, I told my wife how I would respond to God if asked that request, and she looked at me lovingly and sternly and advised me not to share those words in my sermon. <laughs> As always, she was probably correct. But the point is this, I would clearly fail God's test if I was Abraham. I'm not going to stand up here this morning and preach a sermon that we should all have blind faith and that we should be like Abraham because if we take this text at face value, I know I couldn't. And I'm sure I'm not alone. But I don't think that's all that's going on in the text. So here is where I am with this text after wrestling this week. See, up until this point in Genesis, from Genesis chapter 12 to 22, the last 10 chapters of Genesis, we have heard a lot about Abraham. Back in Genesis 12, when God tells Abram at the time to go from his new land, to go from his land to a new land, God will make him a great nation. So Abraham goes. And this is the faithfulness that we attribute to Abraham. He simply goes, drops everything. But this is also, and this is where we build on Abraham's faithfulness character. The story begins in chapter 12 with Abraham's obedience and concludes, bookends, with Abraham's obedience and willingness to sacrifice Isaac. It's as if the author in this concluding chapter is reminding us back to the beginning. Let's not forget that Abraham is a man of faith and obedience. But if we're honest and we continue to look at the story of Abraham, the rest of the story character Abraham is quite different. On their travels through Egypt, Abram passes his wife Sarai off as his sister to Pharaoh's court. See, Sarai is so beautiful that Abram believes that when they get to Egypt, that Pharaoh and his men would kill Abram and take Sarai to be part of Pharaoh's court. So Abram devises his plan, let's just lie and say she is my sister and simply just hand her over to Pharaoh. <coughs> then God blesses Abram a little bit after that, and God makes a promise of offspring. God's promise of offspring takes a little while to come about. 
So once again, Abram decides to take things into his own hands. Abram and Sarai devise a plan. A plan to have Abram sleep with Sarai's servant, Hagar. Then maybe she could give him a child. And she does. Ishmael. So Abram tries to take things into his own hands rather than continuing to trust in God's promises. God reestablishes God's covenant with Abram, and now Abraham. Both he and Sarah laugh at this thought of having a child because they are now of old age. And then following that, there's this great moment, probably my favorite moment of Abraham's journey. There's a great moment where Abraham and God get into a debate. God wants to destroy the city of Sodom, but yet Abram, or Abraham now, pushes back. Abraham approached God and said, Will you really sweep away the innocent with the guilty? What if there are 50 innocent people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not save the place for the sake of 50 innocent people? It's not like you to do this, God. Killing the innocent with the guilty, as if there were no difference? It's not like you. Will the judge of all the earth not act justly? So the Lord says, if I find 50 people, and then it goes back and forth. Well, what if you find 45? What if you find 30? What if you find 10? What if you find just 5? Back and forth, Abraham debates with God. But yet here's another one of my questions. Why don't we say Abraham questioning God about sacrificing his son? He has shown he isn't afraid to question God before. Killing your own child doesn't even get one little question out of Abraham. And then Isaac is born. Then next in the story, Sarah forces Abraham to kick Hagar and Ishmael out. But guess what God does? God promises to continue to watch and care for Ishmael and Hagar. Because he is Abraham's offspring too. God extends that promise even to Abraham's mistakes. And then God tests Abraham and sacrifice Isaac. And we get to where we're at. So up until this point, we've learned a lot about Abraham. We've seen God promise. We've seen God provide. And often the focus has been on Abraham. And now I believe with this sacrifice of Isaac, the story shift, shifts. The text begins after these things. As if to show there's a transition in the story. After all this journey with Abraham, we get to a new point. God tests Abraham. And often we look at the focus of Abraham and his obedience and his faithfulness. But I believe this story also has a lot to say to us. And the focus is also on God. Now one of my other questions about this test about the, about my other questions about this text is the test. I do not believe that God puts people through periods of suffering and trauma simply to test them. That's what this is. I mean, Isaac had to be traumatized. The text ends that, he, that Isaac does not go down the same side of the mountain as his father. So I struggle with that as well. But the early stories in Scripture wanted to share with us a single point. Who is God? But also, how God was different from the other ancient religions and their gods. And I believe that's precisely what this text wants to tell us about God. And not just Abraham's faithfulness, but God's faithfulness. You see, the sacrifice 
your oldest child, was commonplace in the religions of Abraham's day. Abraham would have understood in his culture that this is something that you would just simply expect. It was commonplace. Those who are hearing this story would be hearing it and saying, yep, that's simply just what God's asked you to do, and not bad an eye. But something unexpected happens in this story. God doesn't require the sacrifice. This God is making a statement that God is this God, the Jewish God, is, and the Christian God is different from all other gods. It is a surprising twist and a shocking ending that changes the entire narrative. It's like when you find out Bruce Willis really is dead, or who is really Kaiser Soze. Movie references if you don't know. It's a surprise ending. It changes the whole story. Elsewhere in scripture, we see how God abhors child sacrifices. In Jeremiah, we hear, they have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as offerings to Baal, something I, God, did not command or mention, nor did it enter my mind. And the prophet Micah asked rhetorically, shall I give my firstborn for my sin, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? To which his reply is, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And this is why I believe this story really isn't entirely about Abraham's faithfulness, but about God's faithfulness. It was a reminder about God's faithfulness that God provides and will always and continue to provide. Even in spite of our mistakes or wanting to trust our own path rather than God's, remember God provided for Ishmael. Even though that was Abraham's plan, not God's, God still provided. God provides in spite of our limited understanding of what we believe is possible. Even when Sarah and Abraham laugh at the fact that she can give birth because she is too old, God provides. In the midst of a culture that requires death, God provides life. Because this God is different. This is a God of life, a God of future, and a God of hope. This is a story that tells us about God, how God values human life, that God's love isn't self-gaining, but poured out freely to us all, that this God's intent is being in relationship that is rooted in love with his creation. Amen.